Break the Ice podcast is presented by Superfood. If you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, check out mysuperfd.com for more information. Hey, everyone. Mike Vogel here for WashingtonCaps.com, back with another edition of Break the Ice, coming to you live from Worldwide Break the Ice headquarters here in Arlington, Virginia, joined by producer extraordinaire Zach Garrett and by Jason Service, director of sports medicine and head athletic trainer of your Washington Capitals. And Serbs, uh, it's great to have you here. Um, you're, you're a guy who whose career actually started in a different sport. Um, you, you, you came into the NHL and, and you, you've, been, you've been doing this. Um, for like a quarter of a century now, you're you're well respected. We love having you around, and looking forward to uh, learning more about what you do um, here today. But l- let's start at the, at the very beginning. You were, I guess, a D three college football player who suffered an injury. And well, first of all, what an honor to be on Break the Ice. Like I'm I'm sitting by the legend today. So happy to be here and, and happy to be involved. This is not true, but let's let's get back to the the D3 football player. What what, I mean, what position I I I picture you as a linebacker. Uh, actually I was a center. A center. Um, that I, makes I, sense too. I went to school at uh, Wisconsin River Falls and and played Division 3 football and uh, unfortunately I had a couple couple tough knee injuries and landed me in the surgical category and and uh, started spending a lot of time in the athletic training room and fortunately I had a a coach that uh, gave me a lot of guidance and and talked to me about life after college sports and we got to a point where he just said you know we need to figure out what you're going to do with your life um, because you can't just keep going through this knee process and uh, at the time I thought about maybe getting into coaching um I love football. I, I love being in the athletic environment, and and uh, you know the other guys that I had been recruited with, it was kind of an awkward fit for me to be in that coaching uh, area. So my head coach said, you know, what about medicine? You know, you're you're around these guys, and things are going well, and and they helped me get into the medical program, and things kind of took off, and and uh, started working around the athletic training department and, and learning sports medicine. And uh, a couple of years into that program, my mentor approached me and said, uh, we've been informed that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to join the, the Wisconsin Summer League and they're going to move their summer training operations to our university and they're looking for some, some interns. Would you be interested in applying? And, and you know, at 19 years old, uh, I applied and that was my first internship ever was in the National Football League. What can you tell us about the difference between the the two athletes, football players and hockey players, and and maybe the similarities uh, bet- between them as well? You know, the, the the biggest differences between the sports are that, um, you know, football um, they play on Sunday, and you know it's it's trying to survive until the next next week and and if they have a bad injury their season might be over um hockey's really a marathon where these guys are playing a lot of games in a short amount of time they're sustaining bad injuries over the course of the season they may rehab they may come back and they may have, may have another bad injury um so the athletes themselves are very similar in their preparation and and their efforts and their recovery but the seasons are very different in in the sprint marathon uh discussion and you 
you actually grew up in Minnesota. You're from Bird Island, Minnesota, which is directly, pretty much directly west of the Twin Cities. I don't know. It looks like maybe an hour or so on a map. But so obviously you grew up in a hockey hotbed. Did what was your relationship with the game before you started working in it? So first of all, if you've never been to the growing metropolis of Bird Island, Bird Island is a very small farming community to the west of the Twin Cities, and and you know hockey is a part of life in Minnesota. But in the small town that I grew up in, it was a very football dominant area because we didn't have a whole lot of immediate access to ice and arenas. Mm. We had some outdoor ice in our town and in the neighboring towns, but as you got up to be school age or or junior high age, and if you wanted to play structured high school hockey you had to transfer to a bigger school because we we didn't have a high school team we didn't have have an arena so a lot of kids in in my area football was the big sport even though hockey is a big minnesota sport well yeah and football is too matt niskanen and and matt hendricks both both played some some high school football as well um and then how did how did it how did it come about that you started i think in the was it the western professional hockey league yeah, correct. So Central Texas Stampede. So my my first intern experience with the Chiefs was phenomenal. I you know one summer in in the NFL I was hooked. I knew that I wanted to do pro sports. I I wanted to be in sports medicine, and this is what I wanted to do. And through the remainder of my undergraduate career, I was able to stay involved with the Chiefs. I, I did a couple summers with them. I, I did a partial, partial seasonal thing. And, you know, my goal was when I graduated, I was going to move to Kansas City and go mm. work work for the Chiefs. And unfortunately, uh, their hiring and the completion of my degree, the timing didn't quite match up. Um, so I decided to per- pursue my advanced degree and, and went to Colorado and, and got a degree in physiology. And, uh, again, my whole game plan was to finish this degree and I'm going to get back in the NFL. And my degree program finished in, in the fall. And the time of year that I finished, there were no football jobs. Yeah. Basketball was going. Everything was already going. And uh, I need to find work, man. i got to pay for this graduate school now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there just happened to be a minor league team in, in Texas ice hockey team that was looking for an athletic trainer they had an extenuating circumstance so I reached out and we met we interviewed and and I kind of told myself all right I'll do this for one year until the football cycle hires again and uh, you know then I'll be back in football and that was in 1998 and I've been in hockey ever since uh, Central Texas Stampede uh, they played in a town called Belton, Texas, which is north of Austin. Yeah. And at the time, it was the Western Professional Hockey League, morphed into the Central Hockey League, now defunct. But, yeah, uh, yeah it was it was the bottom. It was the bottom. And there were some, I, I mean, like, I think Alan May coached in that league. I, I'm pretty sure Lee Norwood, who was a former yeah. capital, uh, coached in that league too. So, I mean, it, it had a footprint for sure at the time. But what, what do you think it was that, that – that kept you in? I will tell you without a doubt, there was no no doubt in my mind at all. It was the athletes, the individuals. Um, I witnessed um, a lot of the good parts of the NFL. I, I witnessed a lot, of, a lot of the tough parts too. And uh, I spent 30 games, the first 30 games in, in this minor league hockey uh, environment. And from the, the coaches to the equipment people and the athletes that we were dealing with, I was like, wow, like, these are this is my group you know everybody was so um so gracious so thankful so courteous 
and uh, it was just a good fit for me. The athletes were the fit. It, it had nothing to do with the game. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with the game of football or the game of hockey. Really, it was being a good fit with the athletes. I, th- I think we all, all of us who work in the game for, for any length of time would, would say the same thing and, and would would agree with that. So so how long there, and then and then I think it was Pensacola after that, and then Tampa yeah, after that, so, what was that progression? So a couple seasons there, um, the, the, uh, the coach uh, that I worked with at the time uh, was involved in the Los Angeles Kings system. And, and at the time, Mr. Anschutz from the LA Kings, they were, they were purchasing European franchises and they were building arenas in Europe and, and they actually purchased the, uh, the team in Berlin, mm. uh, the ice baron ice in baron. Berlin in the, in the DEL. And, and the coach I had been working with there said, well, what do you think about going to Europe? And, uh, went, went and spent, spent some time in Berlin and worked in the DEL, which was phenomenal, a, a big jump in the caliber of athletes. Yeah. A lot of up-and-coming athletes, a lot of ex-NHLers. And uh, I knew that coming back from that experience, my goal was still to be to the National Hockey League. I wanted to make it to the top level. And I knew that um, that would involve getting involved in an organization that had a strong affiliation. And at that time, um, the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't have a strong American League affiliation. They had some partial things going on with Springfield and some different places, but they relied heavily on Pensacola and the ECHL. And uh, there was an opening there, um, came back and and, uh, got involved with Pensacola. And really, that was my first connection to a strong NHL affiliation. Uh, I worked with their minor league uh, athletes for probably four or five years. And, and, uh, then the big lockout came in, in 2004 or five, right after the lightning won the cup. And, you know, a lot of our colleagues, uh, you know, suffered during that time. And, and a lot of people had to move on from jobs and positions. I, I was one of the individuals that, that was a beneficiary of that time when that lockout was resolved, the lightning moved me up to the big club. And, and, uh, that was my hop to the NHL. And, and from there you went to Arizona and, and you came here in 2017, 18, you've been here ever since. Um, what would you say is the most valuable thing you learned from a player along the way? You obviously have, you know, degrees and, and learned a ton in school. What about something just fr- from, from a, a random player along the way? I'll tell you one thing I, I've picked up on, and, it, and it's become a, a personal mantra of mine and a, and a cornerstone of our staff now, um, trust. You know, I, I, the, these players are put in positions where, you know, they put their health on the line and they have all these things that, that are coming at them and injuries and whatnot. And as athletic trainers, you, you kind of become their go-to in, in when things aren't going so well. And uh, everything you do every day works on that relationship and that trust. And so communications is important and, and relationships are important um, because they, they need to know they need to trust us. And, and I've had, uh, you know, many players along my career path um, be complimentary on those relationships and, and how much they've trusted our staff, you know, in some of the toughest times of their career. So that that's a big one for me. And let's talk a little bit about how those relationships are developed. Um, w- one thing here in, in the NHL, players, they're drafted. So that that's essentially how they come into the organization if it's not a trade or a free agency. But how, how let, let's just use the drafted players as an example. They come here maybe two weeks after they're drafted or maybe right after they're drafted now um, for the summer development camp. What's the process 
with with you guys as a group, your whole staff, and and it's it's a burgeoning staff now. Um, strength, um, fitness, all kinds of stuff. Um, what's the process for establishing baselines with those players, and 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 like you say, starting that that relationship, and and how is that different? Because these are like 18, 19 year old kids. How's that different from someone joining the team, say, in their late twenties, early thirties as a free agent or yes. from a trade? So certainly, you know, the word development is is a is a good descriptor of what that camp's all about. You know, these new kids join our our team for the first time, and the first thing we want to do as as a staff is we want to establish our our ability and our willingness and our purpose to help them. You know, we, we want to help them develop. We want to help them become good pros, and we want to help them have successful careers. And, and that starts with learning as much as we can about them, uh, about their injuries, about their history, about their bodies, about their fitness. And, and we gather all this information through many different avenues that we collect and assess and, and we digest, and, and then we figure out how to apply that. Um, but during that initial time that we're here or that they're here, you know, our, our main objective is to set the basis to say this is how we're going to help you become a pro. And we, we teach, we talk, we have teachable moments. We explain to them pathways for success and how we take this information that we collected and how it helps them. Um, but I think for me, the biggest thing we're establishing during that time is that we're, we're an asset to them. We're, we're not there to critique them. We're not there to criticize them. We're there to learn as much as we can about them so we can help them become better. Yeah, and I mean, these guys have a very finite window um, in which to ply their trade and, and maybe set themselves up financially. And, and you guys are an absolutely critical um, part of that that process. Um, how does it change when, when someone comes here mid-career and they've already had maybe, um, you know, experience with other staffs around the league? I know that, like, when the equipment, you know, the equipment guys reach out to one another and say, well, this guy likes – these kind of skates, these kind of sticks, et cetera. What's, uh, do, you, do you reach out to other staffs as far as a, a guy coming in, or is it just a, a fresh, fresh start? Certainly the, the hockey world is small, and it's very, very tight and very intertwined. Um, the people that do what I do and the rest of our staff, the athletic trainers and the strength coordinators and conditioning coaches, they're all colleagues. They all know each other. And, and certainly when a player is transitioning from one team to another, we try and find out as much as we can about them to help management make their decision. And then once that decision's made, as much as we can to be prepared for that player, to, to welcome them and, and help them make a seamless transition. Certainly when it's an older player or a veteran player, you know, those pathways of, of establishing that communication and, and trust are, are different than it is with a 20-year-old athlete, but equally, if not even more important. Um, you know, your typical veteran player has already experienced several staffs and seen how things are done at different places. And, you know, we, um, we navigate that space between acknowledging what's helped them in the past um, explaining to them our philosophy of why we do what we do and then helping facilitate the things that we've had success with. 
And, and again, a lot of that comes down to communication and establishing trust. And, you know, we, there's no greater compliment, uh, for me than we, when we acquire a veteran player and, you know, they indicate that maybe a, a reputation precedes their transaction or they're excited to see what they've heard about, or, or even when a player unfortunately leaves our organization and we follow up with them and they explain how much they're appreciative and missed what we offered them as, as an organization, that, that makes me feel really good. Well, and I hear that a lot from guys who, who were here and are here. And let's start with one of those. Max Pacioretty um, has been very complimentary of, of you guys as staff for helping him get back onto the ice. But what is that process like? Because here, here's a guy that you don't have a prior relationship with, and he's injured at the time that he comes into the organization, which can't be a really common occurrence, I wouldn't think, around the league or, you know, in sports in general. Um, what was that process like? Well, the first thing I'll tell you, without getting into to Max's personal injury, a huge collaborative effort. And I, I can't tell you enough and praise enough of the people we have within our staff and even more so how they collaborate and work together. Steve Rummel, Murphy Luatua, Zach Brine, Zach Ledden, Mike Wagner. Um, you know, these guys are all experts in their craft. And collectively, I, I believe, I truly believe we have one of the best medical and performance staffs in pro sports, especially in the, in the National Hockey League. And when a, when a task like this is put on our plate to navigate a game plan, it, it starts with just that. It, it's, a, it's a very specific game plan. Um, while we're trying to figure out it with an athlete what maybe did or didn't work with them in the past, where they are right now, and, and where we have to get to based on the resource, resources and the skill set and the personnel that we use and have, which may be different than a previous situation. And um, a lot of transparency and a lot of collaboration. And, you know, it's, it's just constantly pivoting, regrouping, making a plan, taking two steps forward, pivoting, regrouping. And, and uh, really, we, we take an approach here where we're very anti-silo. There, there's no silos within our, our behind-the-scenes team. And it's a very good collaborative effort, which I feel like when our coaching staff and our, our medical team and our strength team get involved together on the same page it's very powerful for the athlete and they realize that very quickly that that this is going to be good for their recipe to try and succeed and you mentioned coaching staff caps have a new coaching staff this year too what what is that like for you when there is a, a change in changing of the guard so to speak whether it's you know you moving to a, a different team or in this case just a, a changing of the guard here well, when you get to be a, an older guy in your trade, um, you've gone through a few of these over time, yep. and, and um, you know you you have a lot of respect for the process, and and a lot of respect for you know letting things play out, and and having the opportunity to do good work, and and having results driven. 
Um, certainly coach Carberry, we had familiarity before he wasn't totally new to us. Um, carbs and I had interacted on multiple levels in the past, whether it was on Hershey players or training camp or et cetera. Um, but certainly every coach has a way they like things and a way they like things communicated and, and a way they like things done and, and, uh, a message they like sent to the players. So, you know, I think it's a constant, uh, collaboration of, of finding, you know, our, our new normal, if you will. And, and, and um, just being patient, being respectful, and, and trying to help Carbs be successful because we're, we're here to help the players do well, but we want to give him, you know, 20 healthy athletes every night that, that he can do well with too. And I'm guessing too you're, you're going to be working or you have worked, do work with hockey operations, obviously, um, and there's been a number of instances in the last few years where – whether it's a player that Caps are considering drafting, a guy like Hendricks Lapierre or Ivan Moroshnyshenko, or um, a guy like Pacioretty, Ethan Bear this year too, where they it's an injured player and, and maybe they're asking your your opinion, evaluate this player, let us know um, nature of the injury, how long he might be out, that sort of thing. Um, what are those processes like to to go through? Well, I, I think every every organization probably has a little different approach how they they research or or pre-search injured situations and acquisitions. Um, I feel fortunate here that our our management team and our our hockey operations team um, wants to be as thorough as they can. They they want to gather as many opinions and and make as collective decision as they can. And uh, I know that for our medical team, which is, is expansive with consultants and team physicians and people that are outside of our daily world, um, my job is to help funnel all their opinions and help give Brian McClellan a, a, a risk-reward discussion. And then he takes that information and decides what to do and he feels is best for the organization. So, you know, every, every situation is different, but um, we, we try and gather as much information as we can. Um, depending on the time of the year and the status of the player, we, we may talk to the player. We may see how much information we can acquire. Can we get MRIs and surgical reports and things like that? And, you know, then what my job, like I said, is always to get that information to the right people, um, let them weigh in and, and sort of funnel those opinions and recommendations back upstairs and, and help them make sound decisions. And every everyone who's watched hockey for any length of time knows that injuries happen on the ice during games, and you guys are, are there to to you guys are first responders essentially in that uh, situation. And you know we had an instance here just a couple of weeks ago that I don't think I had seen previously, where two in, two players went off the ice and down the tunnel on this at the same time. Charlie Lindgren, who had actually gotten nicked a few minutes earlier, looked like he was trying to fight through it for a couple of minutes. And and Martin Ferrari, who took a a pretty nasty spill into the the boards behind the bench. Neither one of those guys were able to come back in that game. But so take me through that. What what happens when all of a sudden you're you're going out on the ice, not to attend to just one guy, but two, and then now what goes on when when you get to them? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, athletic trainers by profession and by license, um, they 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 cover a lot of different domains. And what it means to be a licensed athletic trainer and 2024 it's everything from 
the administrative part of sports medicine to what you would typically think about of treatment and rehabilitation and physical therapy, um, all the way up to being emergency care, first responders and lifesavers. And, you know, we, we wear that hat different times at different parts of the day. Um, when seven o'clock comes and it's game time, we, we take that role very seriously. And, what happens in our plan at game time is a, is a well, well rehearsed plan um, that involves a lot of people from paramedics to physicians to uh, the staff people that you would know and recognize every day um, to some other emergency consultants behind the scene. And when an incident happens on the ice, um, there are certain things we do to put our plan into action. Um, whether that involves an athlete or a referee or, or somebody else on the playing field and people know what their assigned role is and where to go and where to shift. And, you know, most people see the event happen and they're focused on the athlete and what's going on. Um, but if you really took a step back and watched the bigger picture, there's all kinds of personnel shifting around as a part of a bigger plan. And uh, certainly we hope we don't see two athletes at the same time very often. Um, sometimes it happens. And, you know, our, our athletic trainers go into their shift mode and they know what their roles are and where they're supposed to be. And, you know, not only do we cover the situations at hand and take care of the two athletes, but then soon behind us that game's getting ready to start again. So a lot of things are kind of rotating around. But, um, you know, all I'll, I'll say specifically is we have a, we have a very specific plan that um, – you know, involves multiple individuals with multiple levels of care. And we try and be as best prepared as we can for, for any situation. And, um, you know, we go into action when, when needed. What's maybe the worst thing you've ever had to deal with on that, like a, 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 a sort of a triage uh, situation? You know, like that? scary lacerations are yeah. always tough. You, you've seen some of the scary ones. They can, they can turn dramatic real quickly. Um, certainly we, we prepare for the cardiac situations, whether they're, they're staff or players. Um, but yeah, you know, I think, uh, over the years you tend to see more and more and, and, uh, you just try and be as prepared as you can. Well, you mentioned the cardiac situation too. I remember that it was a couple of years ago when the cap signed Henrik Lundqvist, um, right ahead of that, that pandemic season. I think it was just during routine physical that, that you discovered that you know he, he probably shouldn't um, continue playing. I don't know how much you're able to elaborate on that that process, but I do remember Caps had a guy named Steve Konowalczyk played here for a number of years, really good player. He moved on to Colorado and had a similar thing happen to him, uh, just had routine physical ahead of a season where all of a sudden he was faced with, well, you know, time for me to retire because I'm getting – that advice from from our training staff yeah i mean uh, certainly you know i i i need to respect that that all sure. these players information is very confidential so I'm, I'm not at liberty to talk about henrik specifically but um certainly you know we we put a lot of effort into understanding everything we can about each player um not only for their performance um, but for their health and safety and, and their general life. And, uh, you know, certainly as, as they get more injuries and as they age, things change. Uh, as it does with all of us, health changes, things change. And, and um, you know, certainly now the, the technology and the medicine we have access to, uh, the deep dive that's done on every athlete that comes through an NHL locker room is more extensive than it's ever been. 
Um, so, you know, fortunately, um, you sometimes identify things that are of concern. And certainly, it's better to identify them than not. Um, sometimes when there's things that are identified, then you have to talk through next steps. And, and uh, sometimes those things are routinely managed, and nobody ever knows about them. Um, other times they turn into choices and, and life paths that, that change. Um, but we're, we're, we're fortunate to have a medical team that um, takes those decisions and discussions very seriously. And, uh, you know, our first priority for every one of these athletes is their health, safety, and, and their life. Um, we want them to be happy, healthy, and safety, and, and then we perform and, and win a lot of hockey games. Is there a difference in, in pain threshold or a, a very big difference in pain thresholds among these guys? In other words, like are, are there times when you kind of have to hold certain guys back from? Well, if you and I both smash our thumbs right now, let's see if we react the same. Right. Yeah, certainly there are. I mean, every every everybody's different. Um, you know, there are some guys that uh, you're just in awe at, at how they react or don't react to significant injuries and and then there's other guys that react more how one would expect um but i would say hockey players in general have pretty tough pain thresholds can you learn to have a a greater is that is that something you can learn is or develop or is is it essentially what you got is what you got well i i think when when a uh when an injury happens to you or a mechanism happens to you, there are a lot of things that physically, physiologically happen other than yeah. just pain. You go into the flight or fight response and all these things are happening. Some athletes are very good about calming themselves and, and navigating a situation and being very analytical about that process. And they, they find ways to, to block some of that out and navigate it. And you've talked a lot about just being prepared and being ready for anything and everything which is obviously critical no two days are alike in in, in what you do but I, I can't imagine what the last three four years were like for you as far as COVID goes and I can still remember March 9th 2020 sitting and having lunch with you after the morning skate in Buffalo that day and you kind of laid out pretty much exactly how things were going to play out progress over the, the coming weeks and as it turned out months um what when when this is when you're done when you're finished what are you going to remember most about that that period of time and and how you guys were able to to navigate it as a group and it, obviously what a what a challenging time in our world and and all of our lives and everything that everybody went through and and the health and, and, you know, the results of the pandemic, but to navigate life in the middle of that as, as we were trying to get things going again and, and then certainly to navigate sports in that um, was difficult. We knew that uh, there were going to be some very strict protocols that would have to come into play to allow sports leagues to start up again. And um, I was involved in, in some of the athletic training executive boards that, that talked about some of these things and contributed, and we knew that it was going to be overwhelming, and, and we didn't know the half um, to, to be kind of at the, the medical point of that. And um, certainly I think my colleagues are, are all the, the face of everything medical for their organizations, um, but they never anticipated they would ever ask to be disease experts and 
testing experts and lab interpretation experts and all these things. So um, staffs got really tested. Um, they got stretched to the limits. They were doing things that were very difficult. And, you know, to me, what I remember is we, we took a lot of pride in, in wanting our people to feel safe, um, not only our players, but our, our staff and their families. It was an uncertain time. And for a lot of these people, we were the connection to the experts in their world about what do I need to do to stay safe and what do I need to do to keep my wife and my children safe. So we took a lot of pride in that and we wanted to do things the right way and make sure we kept all of our people safe. The flip side of that is often we had to be the bad cop and we had to enforce a lot of policy not only to be compliant to allow the league to continue to operate, um, but to make sure that if there were issues that we were able to contain and, and not have outbreaks within teams. And, you know, I remember from, for our staff, for our, our athletic training and our medical staff, that part of it being really stressful and taxing because our intentions were very good and out of a place of help and protection of our group. But at the same time, we had to be the enforcers. And that didn't always go over so well with, with the group. And that, that was tough. It was tough to get pulled different directions. Um, I look back now and, and what we were able to accomplish as, as a league, um, as a Washington Capitals team, as the Professional Hockey Athletic Trainer Society, what happened over those couple of years, uh, I'm very proud of that. And, you know, I hope our medical team and our athletic training staff can look back someday and say, I hope we're not going to do that again ever, um, but we we can feel very proud about how the Washington Capitals handled that tough time. I agree, and I think you and your thirty thirty one counterparts around the league too, because uh, that was it was a lot to get through there for for a few years. Um, things things have changed a great deal since nineteen ninety eight um, in the in the game in pro sports. Um, it, it seems to me that. There, there's a greater emphasis on on a number of um, areas, obviously skills, training for for players. Um, their summers are much different than they were when when we were growing up. A lot of them maybe had second jobs in those days. Now, uh, essentially, being an athlete is is a a twelve month job. Now you you're expected to keep your body up to um, in shape for for the the whole year. Um, there's there's a lot of emphasis now on recovery, on rest. Um, teams stay over in cities ahead of a, a long flight instead of, you know, flying in the middle of the night and getting home at 3, 4, 5 in the morning. Um, so many things, mental health. What, uh, what, what has that done just to the, the size of staffs and, and auxiliary? Because um, I know you guys don't necessarily have those people on staff but if if guys need help they're able to get it from you through you yeah i mean certainly the the extreme i mean you go back to to the late 90s a typical staff probably included maybe an athletic trainer a massage therapist and maybe one or two equipment managers and that was the extent of it you had your team physicians that were consultants and they were they were available but a, a lot of this day-to-day happened from within. Fast forward to 2024 and, and staffs are expansive. You know, we, 
we, we've got uh, six or seven full-time people that travel with the team off and on in our, in our medical and our strength staff alone. Um, if you were to, to lay out our whole list of immediate consultants in the DMV uh, for different disciplines from orthopedic to primary care to eyes to dental to neurology, neuropsychology, and the list goes on and on, we're, we're in the neighborhood of 40 or 50 professionals um, that are that are a part of our Rolodex here for what we do with the Washington Capitals. Um, so what that means is the players have access to more detailed care than they've ever had before. Um, the staffs have more access to more specialty feedback than we've ever had before. So I think it results in the athletes getting better, proactive, uh, immediate and recovery care than they've ever had. Um, the challenge for that now is keeping all that together. Um, you know, often I say my real job here is the medical air traffic controller mm -hmm. because someone has to manage all those parts. And then, you know, we have a American league team down the road in Hershey in South yeah. Carolina and, and they have extensions of those staffs as well. Um, so it's the, the network is vast. Um, you know, I think, uh, what we do well with the Washington capitals is we have a very, a very science and data driven approach to all those equations. Um, but we, we equal that with a very logic filtered approach. And, um, you know, you, you hear about some of these really charged terms of sports science and analytics and all these, these things. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes those things can get really astray with hierarchies and personnel and silos and, and it doesn't really get applied very well. Um, I feel like we've made great efforts to apply those same types of data well and use those discussions, whether it's like you said on, you know, what are our recommendations to the coaches on travel or, or recovery or days off or sleep, et cetera. Um, every team's kind of got their own secret sauce. We, we've got our own secret sauce and, and all I'll really say is that, um, you know, we've got a, we've got a great network of professionals that give us opportunities for great information. And then we filter it with a lot of experience and, and logic. What do you see as maybe the next frontier as far as, um, players trying to improve teams trying to improve? Cause I feel like there's so much parity in this game that any kind of little advantage, that a team or a player can can grab grasp onto could could have an impact. Well, you, you mentioned previously the idea of the, you know, the parity between individual players and within the league is now so close. Um, the the margin of error between being in the league and out of the league is so close, um, or being a high minute player, a low minute player, is so close. So what that means now for today's athlete, it's a it's a three sixty five venture. Um, guys don't take much downtime. Um, we have guys that stay here and work with us year round and that are here in the facility in the off season. So we're, we're always trying to balance that equation between, you know, offering them mechanisms for improvement in their performance, but making sure that we're balancing recovery and emotional health too. Um, because sometimes 365 is not the best approach to stay balanced, uh, for a long hockey season. Um, I think certainly, uh, things like skills have become uh, very, very prioritized. Um, certainly anything 
to do with recovery and regeneration between injuries or games or within a week-long schedule is very important because we know our turnaround time from one game to the next is very short. So anything we can do to gain an advantage from there is important. Um, I think things that are, are becoming more of a priority and, and will continue to be more of a priority are things like psychology, sports psychology, um, mental strategies, um, emotional health. Um, we, we've done a lot of things to tune up athletes physically over the years. We're finally catching up in the industry about the, the emotional and psychological part of, of what it means to have the stresses of being a pro athlete as well. So I think that's going to continue to be, be the next phase in, of, of evolution. Is there a a difference between being the head athletic trainer and overseeing uh, the medical for a an older team like the Capitals are now versus maybe 15 years ago what they were? I think so. I think so. I mean, we we take great pride in, in understanding that each one of our individuals, especially our veteran players, are they're, they're very different. Their needs are very different. Um, what they need to recover and, and what they need to stay in peak performance from one athlete to the next is not the same. Um, so as a head athletic trainer, um, you know, maintaining relationships and feedback with those individuals and the staff and, and, you know, plugging them into the appropriate mechanism to stay in, in their peak condition. Uh, certainly it's different with, with older players. It, it's, it's a little more challenging, you know, it, it takes a little more uh, diligence to, to help them really be specified on, on what they need, but, but we're tooled up to do that. Last thing before we let you go, um, you're, The years you spent in Arizona, Pensacola, Tampa, what did it mean to you when you, you came here to Washington in that first season, you were able to be part of a, a Stanley Cup championship team? Because I know that, you know, you guys who work behind the scenes work just as hard as, as the guys uh, on the ice, and I know that um, it, it means a lot for you guys as well. Uh yeah, I mean, what a what a fortuitous time to join this organization. Um, as you know, the, the years before that, the several years before that, the Caps were on the brink, and, um, you know, they were right there. And, and everybody in the league knew it, and, and I was paying attention to it like all the other athletic trainers. Um, certainly my, my exodus from Arizona was, was not planned. Um, it was a part of a, a bigger management turnover there, and and uh, there was a time where I didn't I didn't know what was next for me and my family, and and we weren't sure that that included more hockey or not, and uh, had some previous relationships with people here, including the my predecessor Greg Smith, who we had been colleagues for a long time, and and uh, long story short, my path took me to an interview with the Caps, and and. We decided it was in our cards to, to seize the opportunity and, and uh, continue our hockey journey. My family made the move from, from the desert to the city, and it was a lot of change. It was hard. It was not easy. It was tough for my family. It was tough for my son. My son was probably 10 years old, 9 years old at the time, and uh, you just, you just want to come in here and, and you know carry on your craft and bring your contribution to the table and, and help the team. Uh, the interesting thing for me at the time is I had the opportunity to be involved of, of building part of a new medical staff. It was not only my position, but there were several yeah. positions that were being being retooled, and, and uh, that was a very unique opportunity for me to 
to seek out and find some like-minded therapists and some like-minded characters and, and individuals to to put this staff together. And uh, it was a home run. I, we, we, we did some great things, and, and uh, we were able to get established very quickly to, to help the athletes. Certainly, they did their thing on the ice, and, and uh, you know, I got to have a front-row seat to history. Um, but to come in at, at the part of that and, and selfishly to know what had transpired in a, in a calendar year to get from A to B, it was overwhelming. I, I went from thinking that my NHL journey may have been coming to an end to all of a sudden we're having a Stanley Cup parade on Constitution. It was, it was unbelievable. So humble, so thankful um, for the Caps to give me and my family a chance. So thankful for the, uh, the opportunity to build a staff and put a staff together here. And um, certainly we we all strive every day to help the Washington Capitals to become champions. Um, but we take a lot of pride in doing things the right way every day. And the staff that we were able to build out of that transition time and continue to add on to and build, I'm extremely proud of. They, they work hard. They do the right things the right way every day. And uh, that's that's humbling to be a part of. Well, and you nailed it. It's a home run. You guys, all of you guys, are just great human beings and and good good people to to commiserate and talk with uh, on the road. And you you guys, I can't say enough about you and and everyone uh, who works on on your staff. Uh, you know, over my time in this league, whether it's medical or front office, people come, people go, and anytime you lose someone who's great. And who you really enjoyed being with, you worry, and you're like, man, that that guy's going to be tough to replace. But the the game is so full of really good people that they always find someone who's every bit as good as uh, the guy the guy who was uh, in that spot before the person who was in that spot before. So thanks, Serbs. We really appreciate your time and your expertise and kind of education educating me and hopefully some of our listeners on and viewers on uh, some of the ins and outs of, of what goes on behind the scenes because it's, it's, it's a lot. We, I feel like we could sit here and do this uh, frequently and cover a lot of ground, uh, and we appreciate everything you do for these guys too. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime. Thanks, Jason Service, for spending some time with us, and we'll see you next time. Superfood Performance Nutrition fuels the Washington Capitals, players, and staff on and off the ice. Each bite is energy-packed, highly nutritious, and engineered to boost recovery time. When they're not feeding pro athletes, Superfood is bringing the same high-quality nutrition to offices nationwide through their flagship corporate meal program, Simply Lunch. So if you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, Check out mysuperfd.com for more information.